ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Bhagavatam Canto 4 Chapter 24 Text 60 Translation and Commentary by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada Yatredam Vyajyate Vishwam Vishwasmin Avabhatiyat Tattvam Brahma Parangjotir Akasham Ivavistritam Translation. My dear Lord, the impersonal Brahman spreads everywhere like the sunshine or the sky. And that impersonal Brahman which spreads throughout the universe and in which the entire universe is manifested is you. Purport. In Vedic literature it is said that everything is Brahman and nothing else. The whole cosmic manifestation rests on the Brahman effulgence. The impersonalists, however, cannot understand how such a huge cosmic manifestation can rest on a person. Thus, this inconceivable power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is not understood by the impersonalists. Therefore, they are puzzled and always denying that the Absolute Truth is a person. This wrong impression is cleared by Lord Shiva himself, who says that the impersonal Brahman, which is spread all over the universe, is nothing but the Supreme Lord himself. Here it is clearly said that the Lord is spread everywhere just like the sunshine by virtue of his Brahman feature. This example is very easy to understand. All the planetary systems are resting upon the sunshine, yet the sunshine and the source of sunshine are aloof from the planetary manifestations. Similarly, the sky or air is spread everywhere. Air is within a pot, but it also touches filthy places and sanctified places alike. In any place the sky is uncontaminated. The sunshine also touches filthy places and sanctified places and both are actually produced by the sun but in any case the sun is aloof from all filthy things. Similarly the Lord exists everywhere. There are pious things and impious things but in the Shastras the pious things are described as the front of the Supreme Lord whereas impious things are described as the back of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In Bhagavad Gita the Lord clearly says Mayatatamidam saravam jagadavyakta murtina amatsthani saravabhutani nachahang teshravasthitaha By me and my unmanifested form this entire universe is pervaded all beings are in me but I am not in them This verse of the of Bhagavad Gita explains that the Lord is spread everywhere by virtue of his Brahman feature Everything rests in him yet he is not there. The conclusion is that without bhakti yoga without rendering devotional service to the Lord even an impersonalist cannot understand the brahma tattva the brahman feature. In the Vedanta Sutra it is stated atato brahma jignasa this means that brahman paramatma or parabrahman should be understood. In Shrimad Bhagavatam also the absolute truth is described as the one without a second. but he is realized in three features impersonal brahman localized paramatma and the supreme personality of godhead the supreme personality of godhead is the ultimate issue 
And in this verse, Lord Shiva confirms that ultimately the absolute truth is a person. He clearly says, Tattvam Brahma Param Jyotir Akasham Vistritam. Here is a common example. A successful businessman may have many factories and offices, and everything rests on his order. If someone says that the entire business rests on such and such a person, it does not mean that the person is bearing all the factories and offices on his head. Rather, it is understood that by his brain or his energetic expansion, the business is running without interruption. Similarly, it is the brain and energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead that carry on the complete manifestation of the material and spiritual worlds. The philosophy of monism explained here very clearly adjusts itself to the fact that the supreme source of all energy is the supreme personality of Godhead Krishna. This is described very clearly. It is also stated how the impersonal feature of Krishna can be understood. Rasoham apsukaunteya prabhasmi shashi surya yoho pranava sarava vedeshu shabda ke paurushandrashu O son of Kunti Arjuna I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and moon, the syllable Om in the Vedic mantras. I am the sound in ether and ability in man. In this way, Krishna can be understood as the mystic power in everything. Here within the text of the Bhagavatam is a description of Lord Shiva glorifying the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vishnu or Krishna. Here he, Lord Shiva, speaks about the impersonal Brahman effulgence, how it is non-different from Krishna. Srila uh, Prabhupada gives quite an extensive purpose. His purpose in this section, he comments on almost every verse. They're all uh, points for the philosophical understanding of Krishna consciousness. Srila Prabhupada comments quite elaborately on each verse in this song sung by Lord Shiva section. <clears throat> Particularly Srila Prabhupada here in this purport points out the uh, fault of impersonalists who do not accept the Supreme Personality of Godhead as ultimate. Now, of course, this is not the only place where Srila Prabhupada does this. In many places, within his purports, he debunks the misunderstandings of the impersonalists. More than once, various devotees have asked me to write a book opposing impersonalism. But I reply that it's already there. It's called Bhagavad Gita as it is, in which Krishna himself, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna establishes himself as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And, of course, Bhagavad Gita is very popular among impersonalists, as well as among personalists. But Srila Prabhupada's purports are, many of them, are specifically aimed at the misunderstanding of 
of the impersonalists that which Krishna himself directly debunks right there in Bhagavad Gita. Avyaktam vyaktyamapanam manyante mama buddhayaha Lord Krishna directly says that addressing the perennial misunderstanding of Krishna that is foisted on Krishna by the impersonalists that Krishna, yeah, very great they may even accept him as Ishvara they may identify him with Ishvara but they ultimately say that well, his personality is a manifestation of the ultimate which is unmanifested but Krishna directly addresses this misunderstanding right in Bhagavad Gita when he says avyaktim vyaktim apanam that manyante mam those who think about me that my personality is something that has been attained it's a manifestation of the of that which is inherently unmanifest Lord Krishna says about such persons abuddhayaha they lack intelligence parambhavamajananto they do not know my supreme nature or they do not know the nature of the, the nature of the supreme that Krishna he is not manifested at some point in time and then unmanifested but he is always existing he is that impersonal Brahman which is the basis of everything or rather he is the basis in one sense we can say that Krishna is the basis of the basis he is the basis of the impersonal Brahman. He's avyaya. He doesn't, he's not, Krishna doesn't get old. Krishna doesn't die. Although he may appear to. And this is discussed uh, repeatedly by Srila Prabhupada throughout his books. Those, here we're reading the fourth canto. Those who have read up to this point, they will have come across such purports many times and sometimes such purports debunking impersonalist misconceptions. So those, uh, yeah, those who read through, they'll find such again and again. And some people, they find uh, that Prabhupada's purports are repetitive. And they find, they consider this a fault. Because why should you repeat? what's already been stated in writing school, if you take a course in writing, at least in English language, then you're told that you write something, you make the point clearly, and then that's it. You, you say everything you have to say about it, then you go on to the next subject. And you, you build up on what's been stated. But you shouldn't repeatedly state the same thing. Although, in a, in technical presentations, it may be necessary to 
bring up a previously stated point concise but not in detail again and again that's only necessary to do once so that's true of mundane education where it's concerned with information but yeah the information presentation of information and then the the person under education is supposed to absorb and understand that information but this spiritual knowledge it's not simply a matter of absorbing information you know something we already know krishna is the supreme person of the god i i already know that there's no need to say it anymore i learned that long time ago tell me something else well there is nothing else to say actually <laughs> so then what should we do that's what the impersonalists say that well we already know aham brahmasmi brahmasmi aham sarvam kalvidam brahma i am brahma brahma is everything there is nothing else but brahma so there's nothing else to say that's it those who know do not speak those who speak do not know is the motto of certain people who do not know <laughs> they do not know that one point is that it's not just a matter of knowing but there's a matter of understanding realizing which begins with accepting is the atheists complain that what the, the spiritual information or or the talk about god or anything what they call supernatural or metaphysical it's not verifiable by any empiric process which is true it's simply a matter of faith that's true it doesn't mean that the empiric process is all in all that there's nothing beyond this that's a mistake that they make they think that all of reality should be quantified according to our sensual perception and intellectual understanding but by its very nature spirituality is quite different in shila prabhupada's books we often hear the term spiritual knowledge we don't find that at least maybe now but at least before i came to this movement we didn't hear that term in other what are called theistic traditions they don't talk about spiritual knowledge they talk about faith now of course in christian consciousness we talk a lot about faith also it's a key term in bhagavad gita 
we find again and again the term faith. Ashadadhana purusha dharmasyasya parantapa those who do not have faith, they become fallen from the path of dharma. They do not attain Krishna, but return to repeated birth and death. Then again we have trividha bhavati shraddha dehinam saswabhavaja. Krishna talks about three kinds of Shraddha. Here the term has a somewhat different meaning to in the other verse. So three different kinds of faith according to the modes of nature. So, Shraddha Vallabhate Gyanam. One who has faith attains knowledge. We also find in the Gorya literature, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Shuddhavanjan bhakti adhikari. That one who has faith in bhakti is uh, a proper candidate for taking to bhakti. So faith uh, is, in, is essential. That the whole concept of having faith is rejected by those persons who simply want to analyze in a what they consider to be a neutral manner. <clears throat> but then again we find Srila Prabhupada speaks of spiritual knowledge. Now knowledge and faith they're supposed to be different approaches, different concepts. But then in the Bhagavad Gita we find Shraddha Vallabhate Gyanam. One who has faith can attain knowledge. And actually that's true in any discipline, not only in spiritual knowledge. In any discipline that's true. If one does not have faith in the subject, one cannot even begin to learn it, whatever the subject may be. One will not even have any interest in learning unless he has faith that what is being taught is correct and is worth learning. If one doesn't have that faith, then uh, he won't be able to learn. And that's often a problem in schools in the modern age. It certainly was when I was going to school in my teens that many of the students were not convinced that what they were being taught was very relevant to their lives. They were more interested in, to them, uh, sports, the uh, sense, we can just say sense, the opportunities for sense enjoyment seem to be much more valuable and realistic than being taught about atoms and battles and economic trends and all the kind of things they teach you about at school. They say, well, all right, okay, so this... Uh, this molecule interacts with that one to make something else, but 
what does that matter to me? You know, I, I, there's this pretty girl sitting over the other side and that seems to be much more interesting to me than learning about atoms and molecules. So because the, the faith is not strong that this is what I really need to learn. This is what I need to apply my consciousness to. Therefore, they don't attain knowledge. They may attain another kind of knowledge. They may attain knowledge of how to, uh, how to seduce pretty girls. But the knowledge, the, the purpose for which they're attain, uh, going to school is not served. So, uh, faith is required to attain knowledge. That's true in any field of knowledge. And by emphasizing the role of faith, as Lord Krishna does in Bhagavad Gita, repeatedly, and at the same time giving systematic knowledge, we can understand that to attain this knowledge of the categories of reality, which are summarized as Ishvara, the controller, Jiva, the living being who is controlled, Kala, time, Prakriti, nature or energy, and Karma or activity. To attain knowledge of this, faith is required because it's a discussion about subtle subject matters. It's not, these subjects are not verifiable according to any empiric method. Faith has to be there. Now, previously, or there was a time when the culture within this country, or at least certain areas in this country, was so strong, the culture of faith in Shastra was so strong. Srila Prabhupada writes, or actually he spoke that, that was later redacted into the introduction of Sri Yishopanishad. So Srila Prabhupada comments that in India, if someone says something to someone else, the other person may retort that why should I accept what you say? Is it a Vedic injunction? Giving the idea that what is a Vedic injunction is to be accepted. It is unquestionable. So previously that faith was there, that culture was there to have faith in the Vedic injunctions. That is by no means there in modern India. Well, to some extent, but not as it was previously. The, 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 the veracity of the Vedas has been under attack for generations since, well, there were the Charavakas, they're always there. There are always such people. In Bhagavad Gita we find Lord Krishna speaks about the demons. They do not have faith in Shastra. 
So that's always there in human society. And then later there were Buddhists and Jains. And then in the modern age there is the, the whole ethos of uh, so-called science which leads people to think that what is stated by scientists that should be considered correct. And what is, that is knowledge. And what is stated in Shastra, that is just some faith, that's not knowledge. But Srila Prabhupada always spoke of spiritual knowledge. Not faith, not simply faith. Now in some what are called religious traditions, they don't even like the idea of spiritual knowledge. They think that well, knowledge, that's just, that's just something you try to do. That, that, that's a function of your own intellect or your own pride. But God is beyond the knowable. Therefore, to try to know God, they consider that to be in itself the very attempt to know God, they consider to be ungodly. That's very prominent in Islam. They think, well, you can't know anything about him. He's too great for us to know. And to even think that you can know anything about him is its almost blasphemous. Which leads to the question, well, how can you how can you dedicate your whole life to something which you can't know, which you don't know? But in Bhagavad Gita we find a completely different approach throughout the Vedic literature, a different approach that one should know. Jnanam te ham savigyanam idam vaksham yasheshataha yaj gyat va nehabuyo nyaj gyatap yama vishishyate. For instance, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says to Arjuna that I shall now speak to you knowledge and special knowledge. Srila Prabhupada glosses this as knowledge of the phenomenal and the noumenal, knowledge of the material world and that which is beyond it. I shall now explain that to you elaborately, Krishna says, by knowing which there will remain nothing more to be known. Gyatavyam, the Sanskrit word is Gyatavyam, that which is to be known. It's not exactly the same word as jnana. Jnana, that that can encompass all kinds of subjects. But there's a difference. Gyatavyam, that which is worth knowing, that which is, uh, yes, that which is worth knowing, as opposed to learning about all kinds of things which are not worth knowing about. They don't serve the our actual purpose. Just like in the... One may go for a job interview in India and they'll give you some general knowledge. They'll give you a quiz because they're not very satisfied that what you learned, in, even if you have good marks in your school, they're not very satisfied that you really know what's going on in the world. So they'll ask you questions like, 
How many, uh, how many false teeth does Amitabh Bachchan have? Oh, he doesn't have any because he's superhuman. He can't have any false teeth. All right. How many, how many molar teeth does a cow have? And they'll ask you questions like this to see how, on all different subjects, who was the, who was the last Indian to win a gold medal in the Olympic Games? Did any Indian ever win any gold medal in any Olympic Games? I don't think so. Maybe. Or maybe in the Asian Games or South Asian Games. They might have won something in. Anyway, they'll ask you questions like this. But this is not Gyatavyam. This is not a subject worth knowing about. When Krishna speaks of Jnana, he doesn't say, Now I'm going to tell you, Arjuna, about all the uh, batting averages of all the great cricketers in India's history. He doesn't say anything. Nowadays, if one knows such things, one may be considered, he may be called a pundit. But this is in Bhagavad Gita, we find this uh, pandita samadarshana, one who has attained spiritual knowledge, by which he sees all living beings equally. So, Gyatavyam, Tadbrahmeti, Tadvijjnyasasva, Brahman, that is the subject which should be inquired into. That is the proper subject of inquiry. Having attained this human form of life, Atato Brahma Jignasa. One should inquire into the nature of Brahman. So this is the proper use of human life. But then, having come to that point of inquiring, if one comes to the wrong conclusion, then the whole endeavor is spoiled. The whole endeavor is lost. In the material world, everyone is forgetting Krishna. And those who come to spiritual life and still forget Krishna, their position is very unfortunate. So, Srila Prabhupada uh, goes to great lengths to uh, refute the impersonal position. He repeatedly makes the same points, repeatedly states the same points. Because we have to understand. We may theoretically understand. But that's not the same as properly understanding. There's a very great difference. And that's the difference between Srila Prabhupada's presentation and mundane academic presentations. We may find some scholars in the universities who know the Vaishnav understanding better than many Vaishnavas do. But they're not Vaishnavas. And their knowing doesn't help them because they don't have faith. For them it's a subject of study. Where Srila Prabhupada writes, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is confirmed by all great authorities. Srila Prabhupada will write like this. Right? And if you read that, and you're not a demon then you'll be, it will help us to, we'll accept that, we'll have faith. Yes, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is accepted by all great authorities. But the demons 
who are great, who consider themselves great authorities because they have some PhD from a university. They can present that to Yamaraj. They, uh, they will state that, well, according, according to the Gauri of Vaishnavas, Krishna is accepted as what they call the, the supreme being. And they cite various authorities to support this contention. So they know a lot, but they have no faith. They have faith in the contention that we shouldn't have faith in anything. We, we can't, their idea is that you can't really know anything properly because so many people have so many different opinions and it's not verifiable by any quantifiable means. Therefore we can simply comment about it and this will enhance the human race by contributing to our understanding, blah, 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 blah. They go on like this and Ashadadhana purasya dharmasyasya parantapa aprapya mangdevartante mrityu sansarabhatmani They have knowledge, apparent knowledge, but they don't have faith. So their knowledge is not really counted as knowledge at all because without the basis of faith, then it's shraddha vallabhate gyanam. It's not actual knowledge, it's just theoretical knowledge, it's information. There's a difference between spiritual knowledge and information. Srila Prabhupada's purpose in writing these books is not simply to give information, but to impress spiritual understanding within the hearts of the readers. As Srila Prabhupada said, these books are specially meant for devotees. They're meant for wide distribution, but they're especially meant for devotees. Devotees can understand these books. Others, and they can't understand. They can, at some level they can begin to understand. It, for many people, reading these books has been revelatory. It's changed their lives. But these books, especially the Bhagavatam, is meant for a careful, deep study by the devotees. Now we're all infected by this misunderstanding of impersonalism. It's a deep contamination within the heart. So Srila Prabhupada repeatedly refutes the uh, traditional contentions of the impersonalist school and gives understanding of why we should accept the supreme, the supremacy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In this purport, Srila Prabhupada gives the example of a factory proprietor. Everything, all, he's the owner of many factories. So all the factories rest on him, we can say. How many industrial enterprises, how many factories is uh, Tata, what's his first name? Ratan, Ratan Tata, is it? He's uh, sitting here in Bombay, I believe, isn't it? Down at Nariman Point. No, he's, but his office is 
based in uh, yeah here in Bombay, but he, he yeah he Jamshedpur and all over India he has so many factories, but they're all resting on his energy. So Prabhupada gives this example of how everything rests on Krishna's energy. It's all going on by his potency. Of course, this is a material example because uh, a production manager in, in one of Mr. Tata's factories almost certainly knows much more about this specific details of the production of a, any specific product that Mr. Tata himself knows. But in the case of Krishna, he not only does everything rest on his energy, but down to every minute detail, Krishna knows everything about what's going on. So it's a mundane example. It gives some idea. Not that Krishna has to exert himself to see everything running on. That runs on by his energies. Parasya shakti vividhaiva shruyate swabhavaki jnana balakriyacha. By Krishna's energies, everything runs on. It's not that Krishna is some harassed universal executive trying to keep up with his workload. No such thing. Everything runs on by his energies. At the same time, Krishna is aware of everything, but at the same time he's aloof from everything. So this example is given so that we can understand what is the nature of Krishna, what is the position of Krishna. This knowledge needs to be preached. Devotees are imbibing this knowledge to present that to others. Just like we see here at Radha Raspi Hari Temple. Daily, thousands of people are coming and they take darshan and they go. But most people, if we speak to them, they don't have a clear idea of who is Krishna. That's probably why, because they don't have a clear idea of Krishna, that's why uh, nowadays in modern Hinduism, Sai Baba, is more popular, it seems, than Krishna. It seems to be a competitor. Or some Sri Sri character seems to be getting more attention than Krishna. Of course, these, as the Bhagavatam gives the example of glowworms, in the night they may seem very prominent. So these people come and go. But Krishna always remains. But the very fact that people are attracted to supposed gods or supposed god-men instead of Krishna means they don't have knowledge of Krishna. And people come and they have so many strange ideas. We went to the temple of Krishna and then we went to the temple of Ganesh and then we'll go to Shirdi and it's all the same. That's a it's all, all the different gods, all the same god, one god, it's all the same. Krishna was a great god, and there are other gods. Nowadays, 
there are greater gods. And so many wrong ideas are there. Be- uh, wrong ideas are there because people don't have the right idea. So Prabhupada is refuting the impersonal calamity. Impersonal calamity thou hast removed. Absolute is sentient thou hast proved. Impersonal calamity thou hast removed. Srila Prabhupada praised his own guru for establishing the sentience of the supreme of the ultimate principle, the absolute, and the imperson and of removing the impersonal calamity. Srila Prabhupada defined his own mission in those terms, his own pranam mantra, which he composed. Of course that's in two parts. The first part is generic. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swaminiti Namine. This is this pranam mantra in course slightly different form was composed for Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati and it's a generic it's used as a as a generic mantra for Acharyas in the line of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, of course with the name changed in in each individual case. But the pranam mantra which actually Srila Prabhupada composed for himself, he taught his disciples to chant in praise of himself, Namaste Saraswati Devi, identifying himself as a servant of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. That's how he first identifies himself. Gauravani Pracharne, preaching the message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarne, and delivering the Western countries from impersonalism and voidism. Now he's preaching the message of Lord Chaitanya on the order of Saraswati Thakur. Lord Chaitanya's Pranam Mantra, given by Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, that defines the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Namo Mahavadanyaya Krishna Prema Pradayate Krishnaya Krishna Tanya Namne Gauratvishe Namaha. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission is defined as Prema Pradana distribution, contribution of Krishna Prem. And of course, within that distribution of Krishna Prem, so many other purposes are there. We find that uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was also, he also refuted the Mayavad. We find in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita several lengthy dialogues of which two, two of them, of course they're lengthy, but they're only put in brief form within Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, but nevertheless they take up a large section. Well, there are several dialogues. One of them is with Sarvabhambhattacharya, and another with Prakashananda Saraswati, in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu defeats the misconception of the impersonalists. Srila Prabhupada presented the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, his book, in which the several lengthy dialogues from Chaitanya Charitamrita were presented in prose form. So those two are there, the dialogues with Ramananda Rai and with Sambhambhata Acharya, and also with Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, and Ramananda Rai. So the conversation with Ramananda Rai 
starts off with a general overview of what's going on in this world, <laughs> the nature of this world, and goes up and up and up and up to the level of Krishna Prem, and then even more, more and more and more. Sneha, Maya, so many. Even Prem is a beginning. <laughs> That's a very elevated subject. <clears throat> but this, uh, yeah, within the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, he was chanting, dancing, delivering love of Krishna, but within that, Srila Prabhupada accepted as his mission, he nirvishesha shunyavadi Not simply to defeat impersonalism, but to deliver, particularly the Western world, from impersonalism and voidism. Of course, to deliver the Western world is also necessary to deliver the Indian world. In, we'll find in any... Uh, in any culture throughout the world where there has been some kind of philosophical or metaphysical speculation that uh, impersonalism is generally an impersonal concept of ultimate reality is generally considered this is this is it this is this is the real thing this is the utmost but uh that wrong idea, that beyond the effulgence, or within the effulgence, is the effulgent, the ultimate source of everything. So Srila Prabhupada took it upon himself as his mission to contest and defeat impersonalism in all its various aspects all various philosophies of the world, whether they present themselves as metaphysical or materialistic. If they don't come to the point of Krishna, they're impersonal. And even those apparent religions which speak of God or the Supreme Being, for want of knowledge of Him, they... Ipso facto. By the, because of that, they, they also become impersonal. Just like in the Christians speak of the Supreme Father, but they don't know anything about Him. And so if you don't know anything about Him, then who is He? You don't know. Where does He live? In heaven. Where is that? Don't know. What's it like there? Don't know. No information. Srila Prabhupada gave spiritual knowledge. The Christians, for want of information of the of the supreme person, mistakenly identify Jesus with that person. He came to give knowledge, at least preliminary knowledge of that person, but they mistook him to be that person. So again, it comes to impersonalism to equate the supreme with the jiva again becomes impersonalism. So Srila Prabhupada presented this knowledge and actually this these temples which Sri Yusuf is uh, 
well, I came here briefly two weeks ago, but uh, otherwise I haven't been here for about two years, although I used to come regularly. So when we come after some time, yeah, it's very impressive to see all of this, all this architecture. But Srila Prabhupada's aim in building this temple wasn't to make an architectural monument. Maybe after some time the government of India will make this a protected place, architectural monument. But that wasn't Prabhupada's purpose in building this building. Nor was it simply for people to come and have darshan and some people to sing Hare Krishna. All those things are part of the purpose. But the purpose of building such an attractive temple within the heart of the most important city in not only in India but in all of South Asia. Arguably this yeah, it's the most important city. There's no doubt about it. Prabhupada recognized that, that's why he wanted an important temple built here. But to to distribute this to cultivate and distribute this spiritual knowledge. Otherwise the temple can be anywhere. But as Bombay is the cultural center of India, cultural, I'm not talking about, you know, the government, they send some Bharat Natyam troops, but culture in terms of the way people actually live their lives and the, what they're thinking, how they're acting. Bombay is the capital. There's with Bollywood, it's very influential. In Pakistan also. So, uh, this knowledge should be systematically and carefully presented. Otherwise, what goes on is people take bhakti. It's been going on si- since the acharyas of bhakti have been preaching within this Kali Yuga. They've all, it's always been written off as bhakti is just some sentiment. That's all. But our acharyas who who had fully development sentiments with the Supreme Lord, who themselves would have been very happy to do bhajan and write poems in glorification of the Supreme Lord, they took the great trouble, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself did, to meet intellectuals who were misguided and misguiding others and discuss in an intelligent way and establish the fact of Krishna's supremacy and of bhakti, of surrender to Krishna. Bhakti means devotion, but that is based on surrender. So that is the necessity of every living being. That is the purpose of life. So this is how Prabhupada defined his mission, to establish Krishna as the Supreme in opposition to the widely spread misconception that absolute is insentient, the impersonal calamity. Okay, Hare Krishna. There's five minutes left of my time and I'll open up for questions now, if anyone has any questions. No. All right, there's a question. Not, not a very interesting class, huh? 
would have liked it if I told some stories of Krishna playing with the gopis and Prabhupada never told stories like that. He, he, he sat here in this temple. Actually, it was, this temple wasn't there at the time, but on this land. And for weeks he spoke on the Sankhya philosophy of Devahuti Putra Kapila. That was Prabhupada. I'm Prabhupada's disciple. I'm not some you know, cheap storyteller's disciple. There are so many cheap storytellers. Yeah, what's your question? Mm. Is this got anything to do with the class? I did quote Shadhavanjan Bhakti Adhikari, but I mean it's pretty tangential to the class. What's the next line to that verse? Do you know that? Shadhavanjan Hoi Bhakti Adhikari. Then next line? Shad. Okay, good. So, alright, you made the connection. One who has faith is qualified for bhakti, and one is, one's level is classified as lowest, middle, or topmost according to one's level of faith. Okay, then? As knowledge increases, the faith increases. Yeah, but like so many other things, the two are inextricably linked. As the faith increases, the knowledge increases. As the knowledge increases, the faith increases. The more we hear about Krishna, the more we want to chant about Krishna. The more we chant about Krishna, the more we want to hear about Krishna. But they're inextricably linked. Yeah, then? All right. In one sense, you can say there, there are two aspects of the same phenomenon. In, uh, in, in Vaishnava understanding, faith is not, it's not exact, it's not that which the materialistic criticizers term as faith. They call it blind faith. But faith means faith with knowledge, and in that sense, faith is uh, absolutely linked with knowledge. At the same time, it is faith, yeah, and all knowledge is faith. Everything rests on faith. There's ultimately, if, if, I mean, if we want to be absolutely s- skeptical, then you can't prove anything. I spoke about this many times. We have to accept some axioms, otherwise we can't, we can't do anything. We can't talk with each other. We, we accept as axiomatic that I'm speaking and the concepts that I'm vocalizing, the same, you are, first of all, we, we believe that there's another entity who has the intelligence to understand what I'm saying. Of course, we don't think, we don't think all this, we don't rationalize this every time we do it. But we, the words that I'm speaking can be understood by the other person and the concepts that I'm speaking, they are formed within the mind of that person. We have to have faith. 
You can't, we can't breathe if we don't, if we, if we, if we think, well, maybe someone put some uh, poison in the air, I'll stop breathing. And you can't breathe. If we, we, we have faith that there, that there is knowledge, although it may be very difficult to define exactly what knowledge is, and that it is communicable. So faith is required at every step of life. In everything. It's just a matter of where you draw the line, that's all. Faith and knowledge are, are inseparable. Yeah. Can you speak into the... I can't hear you, so... And you're sitting right in front of me, so... Of course, I may have a hearing problem. Yeah. The whole endeavor is lost. Neha Bikramanasho Sti Pratyavayana Vidyate Swabunapyasya Dharmasya Trayate Mahato Bhayat. Krishna I said that everything is lost. If you come if you if you make your Brahma Jignasa inquire into the nature of the absolute, but we we come to the wrong conclusion of what Brahma is, then the whole endeavor is lost. Well, it's, there are different perspectives on this. Just like within Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna describes the process of demigod worship, but then later on he condemns it. So from one perspective it's better than not doing anything. On the other hand, if we, instead of surrendering to Krishna, we just get stuck up on the level of demigod worship, then it's practically a waste of time. So it's a matter of which perspective you see it from. Just like uh, we can say that, okay, let's make it controversial. Mother Teresa is better than Hitler. I guess most people would agree with that. Mother Teresa was better than Hitler. But uh, on the other hand, she, you know, she was living in Calcutta. She could have become a Gorya Vaishnava, had faith in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Her whole endeavor to help people was just stuck on the bodily platform with no actual understanding. Her faith in God, she could have understood Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but she got stuck on some mundane faith. So, from one perspective, very good. From another perspective, she missed the real thing. So, that we'll often find. Mayavadis also, they do so many good things. They they promote cow protection. They worship the holy rivers, they promote study of the Vedas. In so many ways they do so many good things, but then if they don't accept Krishna, then ultimately, Shrama Evi Kevalam, they didn't, they didn't get the real point. 